This is Rising Up with Sonali, and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. President Joe Biden is moving full steam ahead with a political agenda that has split the difference between his ambitious campaign platform and his centrist Democratic Party roots, promoting an ambitious $2.3 trillion jobs and infrastructure plan The president is facing stiff opposition from the GOP and even some conservative members of his own party. But polling data shows he could be even bolder, as the American people are ready for big government investment in updating our failing infrastructure and in seeing the creation of new, well-paid and secure jobs. According to my guest, the Pentagon and wealthy tax cheats alone account for about the same cost as the president's proposal. Lindsay Koshgarian is program director for the National Priorities Project at the Institute for Policy Studies. She just wrote a piece for Truth Out called Pentagon and Tax Cheats Already Cost Taxpayers Far More Than Biden's Job Plan. Welcome to the program, Lindsay. Thank you, Sonali. So this particular plan, how does it compare to what Biden had said that he wanted to uh, propose when he was running for office? How much did he downgrade it? Well, Biden's campaign plans were much more ambitious than this was um, by a factor of of two or three times. Um, So they're quite significantly downgraded. Of course, we don't yet know if there is a second part of this plan, which we've been told is coming. Uh, We don't yet know what the number attached to that would be. Um, So it's a little bit hard to say exactly how they compare to his campaign plans, but they are definitely uh, smaller than what he had promised. And one thing that's important to remember about the 2.3 trillion price tag on this package is that it would be spread over eight years. So it actually works out to more like $280 billion a year. So this uh, $280 billion a year would basically, as per, as per the fact sheet that the White House put out, um, update our roads and bridges. Um, it would, you know, some are seeing it as a potential eco-friendly climate justice type, possibly Green New Deal plan. But is that really what it is? From what I can see, it involves, you know, some retrofitting, some energy efficient updates to, say, federal buildings, but not much beyond that. The plan does have some climate uh, aspects for for sure. But yes, it's not primarily a climate plan. And uh, that may not be what the administration wants to, uh, how the administration wants to present it. But this is primarily an infrastructure plan. It has some um, it has some provisions for social services, for elder care and, and things like that that have actually earned opposition from uh, conservatives. But it is not the kind of climate plan that progressives were looking for. Uh, we've heard numbers anywhere from 10 trillion on some fronts, all the way up to what Senator Bernie Sanders had proposed um, for a 16 trillion dollar climate plan. And so there's reason to think that we really need a lot more ambitious plan, um, just based on the scope of the problem that we have with climate change. And if we're really going to address the problem, it's even though $2.3 trillion seems like a lot, it really doesn't quite meet the scope of the problem that we're facing. And yet, of course, conservatives oppose it. They see it as this massive 
overreach of big government and really compared to the lack of investment that the government has made in our infrastructure over maybe the past decade, that might well be true. I mean, certainly the Obama administration did have an infrastructure plan. There was money poured into upgrading our our infrastructure. Obama didn't tout it very much. They didn't promote or market it, if you will. Um, But uh, compared to the Trump years, of course, this is is considered progress. Um, Is it fair to say that the era of big government, as some in the mainstream media are saying, is that an overblown reaction? Well, you know, we all know that the Obama um, recovery package when we came out of the Great Recession the, was the re- reinvestment and, and recovery plan. That's right. The, the American Reinvestment and Recovery Act or ERA was it was a large amount of money, but it wasn't up to the job. And that's something that even the Biden administration is now recognizing by putting forth more ambitious proposals. So that's a step in the right direction. Uh, but on the other hand, our problems have gotten much worse since then. Uh, we've had four years of Trump. We've had another decade's worth of economic stagnation and the growth of economic inequality. We've seen wealth at the top for billionaires grow tremendously just during the pandemic itself. And we have a climate crisis that is 10 years on from where it was at the time of the American Reinvestment and Recovery Act. So we have problems that have grown in size and investments that have never grown pace to grown to keep pace with what our problems are. So one of the things that we often talk about every time we have you on our program is let's compare and contrast money spent on things that matter versus money spent on our warfighting machine. How does the uh, Biden proposal for the American Jobs Plan in its cost compare to, say, what we spend on the U.S. military? Well, remember I said that the annual cost of this plan is about $280 billion a year. And we actually know that even as we speak, um, President Biden and the White House are reaching out to conservatives, they're reaching across the aisle, and the size of that package, if there's any successful negotiation, is likely to get even smaller. Right. He should have started bigger, knowing that it would go down, but he started in the middle or maybe even far down, and it's going to get smaller. That's right. So there's a chance that this will get even smaller. But at $280 billion a year, the amount that that is for this package is um, we're spending two and a half times that every single year on the Pentagon. Two and and a half times that on the Pentagon. Times annually the budget for the Pentagon. And remember, that's a budget that we've been spending for the Pentagon every year for decades in the multiple hundreds of billions of dollars. The last time that the Pentagon budget was as small as the annual expenditure under this jobs plan was in 1951. So we've been pouring all of these hundreds of billions of dollars over decades into the Pentagon. And now we're talking about an eight year investment at $280 billion a year for jobs and infrastructure. It's just not remotely up to the the task. And it's really a a sign of still how far out of whack our priorities are under this administration. And of course, we know that they uh, recently released their budget proposal for this year. And while they've proposed increased investment for everything from education and housing to um, public health, they also have increased proposed spending for the Pentagon. So the budget for the Pentagon under President Trump last year was $740 billion. 
the Biden administration is proposing increasing that to $753 billion next year. And that's the democratic way. Uh, We will uh, keep pumping money into the military, but hope nobody notices because we'll pump more money into some other things than the Republicans. Uh, But of course, uh, the military is the is the biggest bipartisan expenditure it seems that the government um and that congress generally doesn't fight over if they fight over anything it's to see who can put more money into the military right or even go beyond what the president at the time might be saying it Uh, it certainly is a practice of one-upping in this budget proposal that we're seeing from this administration so there's also the issue of um, how this is the richest country in the world, and yet our revenues keep falling because uh, either legally we aren't uh, extracting enough taxes from the wealthiest and from corporations, or uh, through loopholes, they are getting away with paying less and less and less. And the IRS, we know, is spending more of its uh, few resources on targeting and enforcing tax laws aimed at middle-class Americans than at the wealthiest. So tell me about the tax cheats part of your article that you wrote on Truthout, how much money we are losing because of tax cheats. Right. So of course, the first thing that comes to mind is the Trump tax cuts that were enacted in 2017 under President Trump. And the Biden proposal um, calls for taking back some of those, Uh, but it doesn't take back all of them. For example, it doesn't raise the corporate tax rate up to what it was before the Trump tax cuts. It doesn't go all the way to a 35% corporate tax rate. It's somewhere in the middle, right? It's sort of uh, exactly, this is is the Biden way, splitting the difference between what it should be versus what it is, instead of going back to what it should be and even beyond that, he's, He's he's splitting the difference and he's still being called radical for doing so. Might as well actually be radical then. Yes, it's as if we have complete amnesia about what the tax rate was just a short three mm. years ago. Um, so, yes, it, it splits the difference and um, and still tries to portray this as a bold proposal. It would close some additional tax loopholes that would help to bring in some additional revenue. Uh, but it doesn't take a lot of the most... Uh, ambitious steps that it could take. You know, it doesn't reach toward a financial transaction tax. It doesn't touch um, many of the individual taxes like the estate tax or um, or taxing investment income the same or capital gains income the same as income from work. So there are lots of steps that it doesn't take. And we have to remember that even before the Trump tax cuts, we still had an extremely regressive tax structure in many ways. We gave out, as a country, more in tax breaks every year that heavily favored wealthy individuals than we spent on the entire federal discretionary budget. So all of those are missed opportunities for federal resources that we could use to put into jobs plans and infrastructure and climate change and all of the things that this Biden plan begins to do but doesn't go quite far enough. What about the public? What does the public want? Uh, I see that there was at least one survey done by Data for Progress showing a very strong public support across party lines as well for a big uh, re- big investment in American infrastructure, suggesting that Biden could go much further than his $2.3 trillion plan. Yes, this, this plan is popular, and it is popular on a bipartisan basis. Maybe not 
in the halls of Congress, but out in in the country, this is a popular plan. Creating jobs is popular. Certainly rebuilding infrastructure is popular. Um, And when you create jobs and build infrastructure through solutions to climate change, those are popular too. So there's a lot that people like about this plan and want. Uh, And it's, that's part of the reason why it's such a shame if, uh, if the administration chooses to compromise with Republicans inside of Washington, D.C., when Republicans really out in the country are quite open to these kind of policies. And there is so much to be said for how the message gets shaped. Data for Progress got the, you know, basically saw the outcome, saw the results of the popularity of this plan because it actually explained the plan to those who took the survey. Um, Often it's so easy to manipulate messages when you have, say, a Republican pollster doing a survey and casting the idea as big government, government overreach, um, waste, uh, fraud, etc. You throw in all the buzzwords and you get a very different result than if you just tell voters or the American public, here's what the plan is, here's what it would do, do you support it? And, and, and you know, setting aside who's pushing it, who's for it and against it, take the politics out of it, and suddenly you see that these plans are popular. And therein lies the issue, messaging, shaping, you know, government propaganda, Fox News propaganda, all of these things serve to change people's minds or just change the narrative and the political will around these sorts of bills and help to explain why even very popular bills end up not passing, right? Yes, that's right. And I think, you know, one thing that we're seeing right now is that the White House is beginning to compromise or at least hold discussions with, again, Republicans inside of Washington, D.C., but they've promised us that they've promised us that they were going to go out to the country and really sell these plans. And I don't think we're seeing enough of that yet. He did a tour to promote the American Rescue Plan, which was a COVID relief bill. And that was, I think, important. Uh, but you're right. Now we're seeing, and of course, there's a lot of other things happening. There's the potential third, fourth wave of uh, COVID uh, infections. Uh, I'm not sure if that's entering into it. But uh, yeah, there's certainly a fear that the, the Biden administration may end up going its old way, which is sort of playing politics on Capitol Hill and, and not expanding beyond that. There's also this interesting, I know you haven't covered this in your in your article, but I'm sure you have an opinion on it, this interesting battle going on within the Democratic Party about healthcare expenditures with the Pelosi wing wanting Biden to make permanent taxpayer subsidies for Obamacare plans versus the Bernie Sanders approach, which is to simply lower the Medicare eligibility age from 65 to 55. One puts money, the Pelosi wing wants to put money into the hands of the insurance companies to get people healthcare, and the other wants to sidestep the insurance companies to get people healthcare without having to pay for the profits of these private companies. One, You could imagine that the COVID uh, pandemic should have made clear which side we should be on. Right. How amazing to go and get a COVID test or vaccine without having to worry about who's going to pay for it. Yes, yes, exactly. And we've done work in the past that has shown that some of the Pentagon cuts that we've recommended could actually cover the cost difference between 
what we currently have and Medicare for all, which would go beyond actually just reducing the Medicare age, but it would expand it to, to absolutely everyone. Uh, so there are plenty of ways to pay for these things. And as many of your viewers probably know, a Medicare for all system would actually be less costly, all told, than private insurance and in our and our current system or an expansion of our of insurance under our current system. Um, so there's you know, there are many reasons why it is the, the logical, practical choice to enact something like Medicare for all. Um, but we all know that they're what the political considerations are for why we might not end up doing that. Again, it goes to the shaping of the narrative and the messaging, which is why independent journalism and analysts like you are so important. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us. Where's a good place for people to read your writing and find out about the work you do? Thanks, Anali. You can see more of my work at www.nationalpriorities.org. And we'll link to that as well. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much, Sonali. My guest has been Lindsay Koshkarian, Program Director for the National Priorities Project at the Institute for Policy Studies. She just wrote a piece for Truthout called Pentagon and Tax Cheats Already Cost Taxpayers Far More Than Biden's Jobs Plan. I'm Sonali Kohatkar. We're online at risingupatsonali.com where you can sign up for